Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burugun campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. working our way through 1 John. Uh, as you might recall, John's first letter sent to various early church congregations. And uh, we're picking up on what might be described as the five main themes of 1 John, looking at a different theme each week. And uh, so we began last week with the theme of sin. Great message from Dan, who probably still can't hear me. Can you hear me now? Yep. Great message from Dan on sin last week. And uh, our theme today is family, appropriately, and uh, more specifically, the family of God. And what does it mean for us to be the family of God? And uh, fear not, with a very full program this morning, rest assured, uh, this will be a mercifully brief message. But we begin this morning uh, with a reading from 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 to 33. If you have a Bible there or you can follow on your app, church app, or on the screen here as uh, Let me read these verses. John says, And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. What we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Amen. Amen. If I had to sum up the whole message of the Bible, the whole of the universal plan of God in one single phrase, uh, I would do it this way. I would use the phrase, the father wants his family back. In creating the heavens and the earth, God created a family, beginning with Adam and Eve, and his instruction to them was go forth and multiply, be fruitful, increase in number, grow the family. And then, of course, we all know how the story goes. Then through sin, the family was broken, and relationships within the family were broken, and fellowship with their God, with their father, with their creator was also broken. God's family was uh, torn apart, actually, as a result of sin. And uh, sin, by the way, continues to have that effect in an ongoing way, that effect of breaking relationship, breaking relationship between us and God and breaking relationship between us and one another. This is the power of sin. Then if we continue on with the story of the Old Testament, we know that then through Jacob, God created a larger family, uh, 12 sons, 12 tribes, the people of God, the, the nation of Israel. And they turned away from their father. And so through the prophets, God called the people again and again to return to him because this, there was this longing of the, the father's heart, this longing that he wanted his family back. 
See, that's never changed. But again, the people didn't listen. They turned away from God and they did their own thing. And so we know the story, of course, that God loved the world so much, so much, that he sent his only son, that all who would believe would have eternal life. God loved the world so much. Uh, those famous words, again, written by John, the same John who wrote this letter that uh, we're looking at this morning. And so the son came and lived. And Jesus, famously, you might remember, the son of God, Jesus stood looking over the city of Jerusalem and echoed the father's heart when he said, how I've longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. How long to gather you? But you weren't willing. See, the father wants his family back and went to great loving lengths <laughs> to achieve that end. But on the whole, people rejected even the son, turned their own way and had a, a, a hard attitude that says, we don't need God. We don't need God. We can just live our lives our own way, which, by the way, is still the predominant mindset of humanity today. But to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, born of God, adopted into his family. It's a wonderful thing. This truth that God in his grace has made a way for his family to come back to him, back into relationship with him through faith and in beautiful relationship together with one another as family. That's the story, in summary, the story so far, the story of the salvation of humanity. But there's more to come. And at a future date, Jesus will return for his people. Jesus will return for his family. And the Bible's very clear about that. The precise timing is known to God alone, but the fact of Jesus returning is clearly stated. In fact, the New Testament speaks about Christ's return on nearly every page. And this was a surprise to me. Look at this statistic. It's mentioned 300, the return of Jesus, mentioned 318 times in the 260 chapters of the New Testament. 318 times in the 260 chapters. In other words, on average, more than once every chapter. Well, that should tell us something. It should tell us that this subject of the return of Jesus was high on the agenda and high in the consciousness of the early church. And it's John who draws the strong connection between the return of Jesus and this idea of God's family. Jesus is coming back. Therefore, we'd be wise to do all we can to make sure we're ready for his coming. And so this morning, let me ask you to consider a couple of key important questions in relation to this topic, questions that I hope that you'll take away with you and ponder over the course of today and perhaps even this coming week. Here are the questions. If you knew Jesus would be returning one week from today, number one, how would you feel about his imminent return? How would you feel about that? And number two, what would you do this week to prepare for his coming that's perhaps different from what you're doing at the moment? So let's just briefly consider those two questions. Uh, 
Jesus is returning a week from today. That's not a prophetic word, it's a hypothetical. Jesus is returning a week from today. How do you feel about that? What happens in your mind or in your heart when faced with that prospect, that possibility? Are you, uh, are you over the moon? Are you excited? Are you perhaps a little bit nervous? Are you scared? Are you terrified? Are you gripped with fear? There's a spectrum for you. Because how you feel at the thought of Christ's return will tell you a whole lot actually about the nature and the health of your relationship with him. Uh, you might have seen this, this image. Uh, Jesus is coming, look busy. <laughs> it sort of reminded me when I saw that uh, of, uh, you know, school days where the teacher leaves the room for a while and then uh, there's this whisper goes around the class, the, the teacher's coming, the teacher's coming. Look, look, like you're, look like you're busy, look like you're doing your work. Let's look like we've been working the whole time, which clearly we haven't been. Uh, you know, God never wants us to pretend. God never wants us to give the appearance of doing what's right. He loves us as his children. I've always had a great relationship with my parents and um, as a young lad, uh, I would look forward to my dad coming home from work at the end of the day. I loved it. He was fun. Uh, he would play games with us as kids. Sometimes he'd bring home fish and chips. Uh, we would love those days. Uh, he'd read us Bible stories before bed. So on the whole, you know, I, uh, I, I liked it when Dad came home. That may or may not have been your experience. I liked it when my dad came home. But there were times, and some of you will find this hard to believe, times when I would misbehave during the day. I know, that's shocking, isn't it? it, was a, it was, well, this will be a revelation for you. I had a bit of a temper, actually, as a young boy. And I was inclined to throw the occasional tantrum and uh, slam doors. Uh, I was known to break things. I uh, smashed a, a <laughs> it's hard to believe, I smashed a glass on the ground one time I remember. I would lash out at my older sisters. Oh, this is hard to imagine. In, uh, now, in my defence, <laughs> uh, I was the youngest and uh, I was outnumbered. I had two older sisters, some of you better relate to this. And uh, let me give you one example. You know, when we played the hospital game, for some reason, I always had to be the patient. Why do I always have to be the patient? And my sister Lindy, who's present with us this morning, uh, she was always the doctor or the nurse administering injections <laughs> from the prickle bush in the front garden. Traumatising. It's no wonder I had anger issues. All I'm saying is, it's, you know, it's not all my fault. I was driven by cruelty. So I'd lash out. And there were times when my mum would say, your father will hear about this when he gets home. Ever had that? Do you remember that? Your father, wait till your father gets home. Your father will hear about this. See, that was a sentence that changed everything in terms of the way that I felt about my father coming home. Right? I would go from feeling quite happy and excited about Dad coming home to feeling this sense of fear and dread and impending doom. <laughs> because deep down I knew 
I knew that I'd behaved badly and my fear was a fear of punishment. Now, for some of us, there are feelings and fears along those lines that quickly rise to the surface when we think about Jesus returning. And our mindset goes a bit like this. I've behaved badly. I feel guilty. I'm I'm not worthy. And so I feel fear. Deep down, if I think of Jesus returning, I think I'm going to cop it. I think God, my Father, wants to punish me because I actually know that that's probably what I deserve. And I'd suggest to you this morning that that's why John here writes with such fatherly tenderness as an older man writing to uh, the church that he loves, the people that he loves, he addresses his readers as dear children, at least five different occasions during the course of this first letter. Dear children, he says, and understanding people's fears. I think he understood that. He writes these words, How great is the love the Father lavishes upon us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. It's like he emphasises this truth to them. We are children of our Father. He loves us with this indescribable love. We're his family. He loves us with a perfect love that drives out fear. 1 John 4.18, he says it actually later in this letter, 1 John 4, Uh, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And this is God's will for you, that you be made perfect in love, that all fear would be driven out. The heart of the Christian message, the gospel, is that the punishment for our sin. And there should be punishment for our sin. But the punishment for our sin has been meted out at the cross and that we are declared righteous in Christ and therefore we come to God as we come to God in faith. We need not fear. We need not fear the punishment of God. We need not fear the return of Jesus. No fear. Romans 8.15, it's up on the screen there. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. You've been delivered from fear. And that's what fear does, by the way. It enslaves people. It it will enslave you. Fear will enslave you. But God is delivering you or has delivered you from that. And so you have not received the spirit makes you a slave again to fear, but you've received the spirit of sonship. And by him, by that spirit of sonship that we've received, we cry, Abba, Abba, Father, this beautiful uh, Aramaic word, which is the the first mumblings of a small child, a a little Rosie or a little Charlie. This is Abba, Father, Daddy, where there's no fear. There's no fear. So as we think about the return of Jesus, according to John, we should feel confident and unashamed. Verse 28. Confident and secure because of our understanding in in, uh, because of our standing in the family, our position as children of the king recipients of that love that is lavished upon us. Do you feel confident and unashamed at the thought of Jesus returning one week from today? Confident and unashamed, unashamed because our sins, past, present and future, by the way, our sins have been forgiven 
and dealt with at the cross. Well, let's move on to the second question. If you knew Jesus would be returning one week from today, what would you do this week to prepare for his coming? Well, if we go back to our passage in 1 John, we'll see there are three exhortations in those few verses. And the first is that we continue in him. The, the previous verse that we didn't read, John finishes that verse by saying, remain in him or abide in him is another translation of that. And now he says, continue in him. Continue in our relationship with Christ. Continue to devote time and energy into nurturing a relationship with God that is real and dynamic and active and built on that foundation of the love of God. See, we're not like that child that I was waiting for my father to come home. He's not there. My, my dad's not in the house. So I can do what I like. And I might cop it later. That's not our current reality. God is with us. He's with us constantly by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so we're invited into this relationship that is interactive and continuous, not waiting, not looking busy, <laughs> waiting for Jesus to return. Continue in him. That's the first thing. The second is that we do what is right. And so we understand that there's a way of living day by day that is consistent with living a godly life, that we are children of the light. And so live your life in the light, not in the shadows. We walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus. His son continues, goes on, continuing to cleanse us from our sin. Walk in the light. Live in such a way that you are doing what is right. Have your house in order. Have your relationships in order. Ephesians 4.1 urges us to live lives worthy of the calling we have received. Well, what that means, amongst other things, it means keeping short accounts with people, ensuring that our relationships are in order, that there are, there are no grudges being held, that there's no unfinished business, there's no unforgiveness being harboured. Because I'll tell you what, if there's unforgiveness being harboured, if there's grudges, especially within the family of God, you're not ready for the return of Jesus. You need to put those things in order. Do what is right. And the third thing is that we... Purify ourselves. It's just such an interesting verse. All who have this hope in him, says John, purify themselves just as he is pure. We think, well, hang on, that doesn't sound right. Surely we can't purify ourselves. We're saved and purified by God's grace, not by our own efforts. Well, I think John would agree with that statement. But understanding that wonderful spiritual truth that we are saved and purified by God's grace, not by our own efforts, the conviction that we are God's children should spur us on to pursue a deeper level of holiness. Our hope in the imminent return of Jesus motivates us, or at least should motivate us, towards a greater degree of maturity and holiness, personal holiness in our day-to-day -day lives. If all our future expectation is centred on Christ, then we should want to be as much like him now as we can. When we see him, we shall be like him in fullness. The father wants his family back. He so wants his family back. He longs for us all to be together again, one with him and one with one another. And the return of Jesus 
will bring that about. The family of God will be restored. So as we close, let me ask you, are you ready? Are you ready for that? Is your house in order? Are you living a life of readiness? Well, the urging of the Scriptures is to live a life of readiness, to always be ready, to watch, to pray, to be alert, to be ready. Let's pray. Oh God, our Father, we thank you for this wonderful truth that you have lavished your love upon us with such abundance, such generosity, that you so readily just forgive our sins, the terrible things that we've done, because you just want us to be with you. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that you would help us to live lives of readiness for the return of Jesus. We might be those that as we even leave this place today that we have a fresh determination to put things right that are not right in the relationships that we have around us. To extend a hand of grace, a hand of forgiveness, even when and especially when it's not deserved because we understand the grace and the forgiveness that have been extended to us at the cross. So Lord, teach us what it means to be family, to be those who truly love and forgive one another and who together look with eager anticipation towards the coming of Jesus. And Lord, even this morning we would echo the prayer of the early church, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.